hello everyone. We are coming to you from San Diego from the AIDS conference. And with me, I have Matthew Summer, who gave a fantastic presentation today. Thank you. Um, Matt, please take a moment to introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Matt Sommer. I'm the head of the specialist consulting group of Janice Henderson Investors. I'm based in Denver, Colorado. I've been with Janice 13 years. And my role is to help advisors think about their clients. And I provide advice and consultation about how to go about deepening those client relationships. It's fantastic. Now, uh, you spoke about trends during your presentation, mm -hmm. and I'm curious to get into some of those because they were very fascinating. Um, can you outline, let's say, your top three trends that you feel are most prominent in 2023? So for 2023, I would say that there are a few things that are top of mind. Uh, the first, of course, is the markets. Now, the good news is, is that the markets seems, seem to have stabilized. Uh, from where they were, uh, particularly in the fall of 2022. Uh, but people are still uh, a little bit unnerved because in their mind, their anchor is where the markets were at the all-time highs of January of 2022. And that really shouldn't be their focus. Their focus should be on whether or not uh, they're still on track to meet their goals and objectives. So that, I would say, is one of the themes uh, another theme that uh, we're, we're dealing with is related to income planning for people who are retiring and how to go about thinking about their cash flow, um, thinking about how much they could or should be spending on a monthly basis. And not only the dollars and cents, uh, but also helping them think about what they want retirement to mean to them so that they're connected with peers, uh, that they have fulfillment, that they have social outlets, uh, because it's as much lifestyle as it is financial. So I would say that is a second, a second major, major theme. And I would probably say that the third uh, major theme for us in 2023 is what's going on in here in the United States, at least with Washington, D.C., and some of the uncertainty regarding the future of taxes. Are taxes likely to go higher? Are taxes likely to go lower? Um, how do you sort of hedge your bets? And what exactly does that mean for helping individuals think about their long-term financial needs? Uh, that, that's fantastic. Now, there's a lot to speak about with each of those things. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the first one, which is market uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So we've seen this many times before, but it seems this time around, it's a bit unique in the sense that there's so much uh, foreign conflict that's contributing to some of it. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to advisors, how are they trying to deal with all of this? Or have you seen anything in particular that they're employing? Well, a, a little bit of good news. Um, we conducted a survey back in 2022 to better understand how people were coping with the markets and inflation. And our findings found that very few individuals sold. So I think a lot of the lessons of the past have been learned, whether it's 2008, whether it's 2020 and, and COVID. Um, people have, have begun to realize uh, that the worst possible time to sell your stocks is immediately after they go down in value. Mm -hmm. 
And the problem is, is that while we know that stocks go up and down, they go up more than they go down, we don't know uh, when they're going to go up or down. So one of the uh, proactive tools that many financial advisors uh, are, are incorporating into their service model is to, especially for newly retirees, is to carve out uh, 18 or 24 or 36 months worth of living expenses and just leave it in cash. Uh, interest rates are much more competitive right now than they were over the last decade. And by having a, a cash buffer, it really doesn't matter if stocks and bonds are going up or down. Um, if they go up, great. If they go down, well, I'm not forced into selling my stocks at the worst possible time because I have plenty of cash on hand. So that's one of the ways that advisors have adopted uh, to volatile markets in helping their clients um, maintain their long-term financial plan. That makes sense. And you spoke about retirement, which goes to your second point, which mm -hmm. was around income planning. So let's dig a bit into that because obviously we keep hearing about the baby boomers retiring. So there's a large wave of that happening. Um, now with the financial uncertainty, um, there's been a big uh, sort of focus on financial wellness mm -hmm. as of late as well, which is going just beyond just investment planning, you know, focusing on things like retirement planning, elder care, healthcare, all of that good stuff. So what are you seeing in terms of this? So it's really interesting uh, because you're right. Uh, a big piece of the puzzle is not only the finances, but it's everything else that may be going on in the client's life. Um, we have been spending a lot of time at Janice Henderson thinking about uh, how advisors can work with clients uh, effectively, particularly as clients age. And historically, there have been certain tools in the toolbox uh, that people would use, such as a durable power of attorney, uh, to, to have someone uh, on hand to make important financial decisions on behalf of a client when a client maybe is no longer able to make those decisions for him or herself. Uh, one of the things that I spoke about today uh, here in the United States is we have a new concept called uh, a trusted contact. And basically what that means is that if an advisor feels that something's just not right, something's a little off, uh, is there a trusted person that the advisor can call just to have a conversation regarding the general well-being of their client? So this trusted contact could be a relative, it could be a friend, it could be, a, it could be, a, it could be anyone really. And it doesn't cost anything. It's relatively easy to set up. Um, however, unlike a durable power of attorney, this particular person does not have any authorization to make trades or take distributions or withdrawals from the account. Um, and you don't need a, an attorney or you don't need legal counsel to, to name a trusted contact. So that's, that's one small step. Um, we're also spending a lot of time uh, working with our new partners at Wayne State University, their Department of Gerontology does terrific work around financial exploitation, uh, how, to, how to stop it in its tracks and should the worst happen, how to begin picking up, picking up some of the pieces. And so we're about to launch a brand new relationship where we're gonna make these resources a little bit more widely known to the advisor community. Not to say that this is something that happens every day, but it does happen from time to time. And at least it'll provide advisors a place to go. So you're absolutely right. It's much more than just how to invest stocks and bonds and do a financial plan and figure out how much we can spend on a monthly basis. It's about all these other ancillary things that are going on in the client's life. And I think that's 
really important because there is, even though it's not pleasant, uh, exploitation does happen, particularly with older clients. Um, you know, I witnessed something that was close to that and it was a very unfortunate event. So to have more awareness around that issue and to be introducing new tools to help combat, combat it, uh, I think is essential. And it's great work that you guys are doing. Now, uh, you mentioned some partnerships. Uh, I'm curious, like, are there many studies that are done to try to figure out how, to the extent of an issue this is, or to figure out some best practices that advisors can use to help deal with it? Um, I uh, do recall that you mentioned a few tips in your presentation. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the FBI actually does an annual study on financial exploitation of seniors and the numbers are staggering and financial exploitation unfortunately can take a number of different forms it could be a, a technology related it could be a romantic scam uh, it could be uh, a family member uh, who's putting their interests ahead uh, of of an advisor's client and so from a financial advisor's perspective um, sometimes uh, when you have longstanding relationships with clients that go back 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you can tell when something's just not right without knowing exactly what's going on. And so our research has found um, that a lot of times uh, these are very difficult uh, situations. It's, it's not an easy conversation. And a lot of times the financial advisors just simply don't know where to go. Mm -hmm. So one of the interesting things about Wayne State is it's really two things. The first is, is that they have an online assessment tool. It's 10 questions. It's really simple. So a financial advisor can go on and answer the 10 questions about what's going on in the lives of his or her client. And it'll come back with some recommendations based upon the, the questionnaire. Uh, but beyond that, uh, Wayne State also offers counselors, and these counselors are available to speak to loved ones and individuals who may feel that they're being financially exploited or they were recently financially exploited. And these counselors are experts in this field and can begin to help those families put the pieces back together. Um, again, not that these things happen every single day. Uh, but what I find is that when I talk to people about what we are planning with Wayne State, uh, just about everyone says, well, you know, that's really interesting because personally, uh, everyone's had this experience. It could be an aunt, it could be an uncle, it could be mom, dad, it could be. Uh, but the point is, is that every this is so this is unfortunately has gotten so commonplace. Uh, we feel that um, bringing these resources to the market uh, so that advisors are better equipped to have these conversations is something that can go a long way to help. Definitely. Uh, it's a great service. Now, I do want to shift slightly to retirement. Mm -hmm. uh, so, obviously, one of the issues, at least in Canada, is that we do have the baby boomers retiring. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, so there's this expected um, retirement paycheck concept almost where they're no longer receiving a paycheck from work, mm -hmm. but they expect that out of their accounts, right? Because they obviously still need to be able to live. But having firms that, that have a really good strategy in place to help facilitate that. So to help facilitate the taxation side of it, the withdrawal side of it, mm -hmm. ensuring that, you know, when you are withdrawing, it is in the most efficient manner mm -hmm. and getting these funds out to clients when they need them versus 
you know, one of the examples I hear is like, you know, there's some people who are older, they're retired and they have their advisor like draw out, I don't know, like 50K and just put it into an account and withdraw from that over the year. And mm -hmm. it's just sitting in a bank account. It's not really doing what it can be doing if it was invested. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are you seeing in terms of retirement strategies? Okay. So the first uh, aspect is more behavioral. Um, if you were to ask uh, most people, uh, is four hundred thousand, is six hundred thousand, is seven hundred thousand, is one point two million, whether it's U.S. dollars or Canadian dollars, if you were to ask most people if that's a lot of money, uh, I think most people would say yes, that's that's a lot of money. Um, the problem is, is that when you put it in terms of what does that translate for monthly income over a thirty-year period? Um, it may not necessarily be as much money as one would think. So the first thing is getting clients to understand that the key point is not how much money they've saved, although, of course, that's very important. But what's even more important is what does that translate into monthly income? The second piece is the financial planning piece. The financial planning piece is for a client and his or her advisor to take a sharp pencil and a pad of paper and really think about their expenses in retirement because they're going to be different than expenses while you're not retired. And so there are a lot of different ways to think about this. I kind of like essential versus discretion. That's one way to think about it. Another way to think about it is needs, wants, and wishes. So your needs is things like the electric bill. Uh, that's a need. Uh, your wants may be uh, an annual trip to go see the grandkids. Uh, wishes may be something that's uh, a nice to have uh, for a lot of people. Um, that may be a, ch uh, a charitable gift, although for some people, uh, the charitable gift may be more of a, of a want than a, than a wish. The point is, is that you're able to prioritize uh, what's important to you because the markets, inflation, the economy, taxes, things are going to change over a 30-year period. And there is going to be periods where things are going really well, and there are going to be periods that are, are, are challenging and maybe a little bit unexpected. And so the point is, is that if your if your spending is prioritized, it's going to make it much easier to make mid-course corrections and adjust and shift as necessary. So that's sort of the second piece. So the first piece is behavioral. The second piece is financial. And in my mind, the last piece is investments. Um, to me, um, there are a lot of different ways uh, to construct a portfolio for someone in retirement. Um there's a lot of debate within the industry as to whether or not 60-40 uh, is still is still the right mix. Uh, maybe maybe we can save that for another for another podcast. Look, I think it's a combination of things. I think uh, there's a place for equities. There's a place for bonds. I think there's a place for guaranteed income uh, uh, by way of annuities. Um, I think for uh, for I think the key thing for advisors, in my estimation, is to keep an open mind and recognize that every situation is different. And so while this particular household may be weighted more towards equities and dividend payers, maybe this household uh, would benefit uh, at least psychologically and emotionally from the certainty of getting a monthly check without, uh, without regard to what's going on in the economy or the market. So they may be more annuity focused or annuity weighted. So there are a lot of tools out there. 
but I think the key point is to put together a portfolio based upon the nature of the individual rather than going to the same toolbox for every single scenario. That makes sense. And you mentioned behavioral finance, and I think behaviors are always a very big component uh, of really uh, anything in life just because people are wired a certain way. But how should advisors try to approach some of this? So there, there are certain people who feel that they have a very good idea of their investments, their portfolios, their needs, but they might actually not, mm -hmm. right? So how do you have the conversation of saying, okay, actually, I know you want this, but this is actually what you're able to have at this point, mm -hmm. unless you make X, Y, Z changes. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any tips for how to have those types of conversations? Have you seen any of this play out in action? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the hardest jobs for financial advisors is having to deliver bad news. Mm -hmm. And so if a client uh, has done a great job saving a million dollars, let's just say, and they think that they're going to spend $100,000 a year over the next 30 years, I mean, that's just not realistic. And so I, I think the, the best way to proceed, uh, particularly for clients who have expectations that are not realistic, um, is to do scenario modeling or scenario planning. So there's a best case, which is what's most likely. Uh, there's a worst case. Um, uh, and then there's a best case. So your base case, what's most likely, the worst case, uh, and a best case. And so you're able to kind of set expectations up front that the world's dynamic, the world changes, nothing's 100% uh, for sure. Uh, this is an iterative process. It needs to be reviewed uh, as necessary. Uh, but the point is, by having uh, different scenarios uh, baked into the financial plan from the start, that begins to educate the clients that this is something that's going to have to be revisited, uh, if not on an, on, uh, on an ongoing basis, at least on an annual basis. Um, managing uh, client expectations, uh, particularly when they're not steeped in reality, is, is very, very difficult. Uh, very, very difficult. Um, so one, uh, sh another strategy is I call it pre-mortem planning. So everyone knows what post-mortem planning is. Uh, you kind of debrief after the fact and try to figure out what went right and what went wrong. Uh, pre-mortem pre planning is a technique whereby uh, the advisor and the client think about before investing or before setting forth on a particular plan Okay, let's talk about all the reasons why this may not work. And again, what that does is it begins to plant the seed with the client that there may be outcomes uh, whereby uh, I, I'm not going to get uh, what I want and I'm going to have to make adjustments. So using different scenarios is one technique. Pre-mortem planning is another technique that advisors have found helpful. Yes, that. Yes. Uh, to your point, these are very difficult conversations to have. And sometimes, unfortunately, you have to deliver some bad news. Uh, so that's great to have that pre-mortem planning because that can definitely help shed some light for a lot mm -hmm. of folks uh, and get on the right track. Uh, now, your number three trend mm -hmm. uh, for the year is things happening in Washington around mm -hmm. uh, regulation and compliance. I know that uh, there was a fair bit of regulation that was being introduced in the U.S. for fiduciary and mm -hmm. client best interests. I believe you guys had a, a Form 20 or there were 20 questions that advisors had to ask their clients 
Can you speak a bit to that and what's going on with it? So there continues to be an ongoing debate here in the United States uh, about the the role, uh, if any, the government should play in terms of regulating the relationships between clients and advisors. Um, I don't think any advisor, at least any advisor that I know, uh, doesn't doesn't care about his or her clients, wants to do the right thing for his or her clients, uh, wants to put his or her clients' interests uh, before his or her own. I I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I don't think anyone would find that uh, unreasonable. Um, The challenge uh, with the so-called fiduciary rule um, are the, 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 the what one has to do to comply the documentation. Um, it's always the, the unintended consequences. So it's not necessarily uh, about doing what's right for the client. No one argues with that. It's about finding the, the right balance in terms of putting forth a regulation that makes sense um, and being able to think about all these unintended consequences uh, beforehand. Um, so that continues to be out there. That continues to, that continues to bounce around. Um, right now, at least in this country, there's a tremendous focus on rollovers. And so if you're going to talk to someone coming out of uh, an employer retirement plan and uh, suggest that they move the money from an employer retirement plan to an individual retirement account, which they're able to uh, when they separate from service or retire, um, you need to have a good reason. And so there's certain requirements that one has to go through where you compare and contrast. What are the advantages and disadvantages if I just suggested the client leave the money in the plan versus what are the advantages and disadvantages if I if the client were to remove the money from the plan and open up an account and let me manage it? Now, of course, I'm, I'm conflicted because if the client leaves the money in the plan, there's nothing for me to manage. Uh, but it has to be impartial. It has to be unbiased. And so right now, uh, there's a tremendous amount of focus on uh, that that aspect of advisor-client relationships. Right. And obviously, this is just a lot more work for advisors as well, because now they have to uh, provide a lot of documentation, mm-hmm. record a lot of notes in order to prove that they are indeed following all the rules. Um, I, I find it interesting that there are firms out there that are trying to use things like artificial intelligence and machine mm-hmm. learning to help with some of these hurdles. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen any of that play out? Um, I don't have any uh, good examples to share as it relates to artificial intelligence, um, but I do know that uh, a lot of the a lot of the firms uh, knew this was coming, knew this was coming many years ago, and have spent a, a lot of time and have made a lot of investment in making sure that they're in compliance. And whether it's the old-fashioned pad and pencil, or uh, more likely, it's something that gets documented uh, into the client relationship management portal. Um, they're prepared for this, and quite frankly, a lot of firms proactively. Uh, came out with uh, some of these policies and procedures well before it was even regulated uh, to make sure that their advisors are informed and are acting in in their client's best interest, uh, particularly as it relates to, uh, in this particular example, the rollover transaction. Absolutely. Well, this has been a very insightful conversation, Matt. Thank you. You are welcome.